Good morning, my fellow Michiganders. Good morning, my fellow Americans. I have to apologize right off the bat. The frog went and died in my in my throat because I was screaming at the TV last night when we unfortunately watched our Detroit Lions um, lose last night. So my voice is a little scratchy. But welcome to the Grassroots Army podcast. And I am so, so excited that Dr. Molly James is coming on to tell everyone what she's doing um, especially with her clinic, you guys are going to like what she has to say, what she stands for. If you do not follow her, follow her on Twitter, please do. Um, she has been standing up nonstop, calling out the hot garbage, as we say. And just this morning, I had a conversation with one of my patients asking, like, hey, do you know of a healthcare professional who's not going to shove this down our throat, who's actually going to support our decision? I said, well, matter of fact, I'm interviewing one this morning at 10 a.m. on the Grassroots Army podcast. And I'm excited, and thank you so much, Dr. Molly Jane, for coming on today. Hey, Doc. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and just be fighting the good fight alongside you in Michigan now. Absolutely. So let's let's go back, because I always like to allow the audience to feel you with your belief systems, with what happened during the COVID pandemic. So let's go all the way back to like 2020, around January mm-hmm. and February, where they are pushing out that scary video that people are dying in the streets from this thing, yeah. right? Where was your mindset at that time and where were you at? Yeah, so I was kind of taking a break from my functional medicine clinic. I just closed the one in Iowa. Um, As the people who wrote the hit pieces were so kind to share, we went bankrupt. We were in the insurance model and I didn't get paid for taking care of patients for about two years. And that just became non-sustainable. So I was taking 2020 was my year to go have fun. I was learning how to ski and I was following the election. So I was 24-7 Fox News trying to keep up with You know, I remember I was in Colorado on Super Tuesday when Biden comes out of fifth place to the top out of nowhere and everyone dropped out. Um, So that's kind of where I was. And I was following, you know, I was literally watching Fox News as I was driving 10 hours to Colorado with President Trump making those nightly announcements that like, hey, there's a virus coming and, you know, making a big deal about it. So I kind of followed it from the very beginning as far as listening. You know, I was tuned into the news and then. Then I got sick in in March as kind of the world started shutting down. About a week later, I got sick and went into quarantine for 10 days and did the whole thing. So like when the lockdowns and stuff were happening, obviously we didn't have a lot of information at the time. We didn't know if this thing was going to be a bowl or just a freaking flu. But as time started to go on, I mean, I had another medical professional on this podcast last week talk like they started realizing that the the jig was up, right? Like Mm -hmm. something was off. I have to say, I wasn't one of the first ones to pick up on that. Um, Mine came, I wasn't too far in, but it came a little bit later. Um, So I was sitting watching the news announcements. I was listening to Governor Cuomo every day. And, you know, I know exactly. But he's like, we need critical care help. And like never before during a disaster, like I've always wanted to travel and do that. I've done a couple of mission trips. And very rarely do they need an ICU physician. And in this case, they're like, we need ICU docs and nurses to come relieve our team. So I actually signed up to volunteer and I went out for 10 days in April of 2020. Um, I walked into an ICU in Queens, New York. It was just outside the epicenter that you've heard so much about, about Elmhurst. And I walked into a 22 bed ICU that had 75 vented patients. So it was every bit as bad as they said on the news in that setting at that time. There were three freezer trucks outside that they were using for extensions of the morgue. And I was watching more people die every day than I saw a die in a month normally. Now, a lot of people aren't talking about this, but the ventilators and stuff, a lot of people are saying that, you know, that caused a lot of the unnecessary damage 
with vetting yeah. these folks. You know, what, what's your opinion on that matter? Yeah, I've been pretty vocal about that. I disagree firmly about that. Um, the problem is a lot of people don't understand respiratory physiology. The patients died because they were improperly treated and undertreated, and they had a progressive cytokine storm that damaged their lungs. Well, if you can imagine the lungs, instead of being healthy balloons that stretch, became wet tissue paper. Well, you put wet tissue paper in front of a fan like the ventilator, which is all it is, is a fancy fan, and it's going to blow the tissue paper out. The same thing happened to their lungs. The lungs were fragile from the disease process. You know, when you see somebody, if you if you think about how fast we breathe, and this is gets into physiology, but I think people can understand this. As you sit there, you're breathing 10 to 15 times a minute. Try to breathe a breath every two seconds. Like, you just can't do it. And yeah. imagine these people doing this. They were breathing 40, 50, 60 times a minute when they got to us. That is unsustainable. Like, that takes so much energy. These people eventually fatigue and just die. That's when they went into cardiac arrest. So we had no other option than to intubate these people that were at that point. Unfortunately, like there's no other option. Um, so I think in 2020, everyone gets a little bit of a pass because we were doing the best we could. But when it came to 21 and the shots came out, that was just a different scenario altogether. Now we knew about the meds and then the hospital started actively blocking them. So that was 2020 is a very different pandemic to, in my eyes than 21. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially, you know, with people, like I said, everybody gets a, even the elected officials, they get out, a get out of jail free card in the beginning. I've always been against the lockdowns, they're unconstitutional and so forth, but everyone mm -hmm. was just trying to do their best. And that's why, like, even Governor DeSantis in the beginning, him and Governor Noem started to open up, but Governor Noem never locked down, but Governor DeSantis said, you know what, I'm not locking down ever again. And he came out and apologized and said, yeah. you know, I was wrong, but we're never locking up again. And, you know, he just got attacked nonstop. Mm -hmm. So well, there was just all this misinformation and people like me and others were like talking about, you know, building your immune system and there's other ways you need to exercise. You need to make sure that you're doing everything you can mm -hmm. to become healthy. And we were deplatformed and we were quacks and we were spreading yeah. misinformation. It was frustrating. So were you on Twitter at this time? You know, when, uh, before Elon Musk um, bought it, were you getting mm -hmm. censored for anything? Yeah, I sure was. So I wasn't a big Twitter. Like, I didn't know how to use Twitter, <laughs> honestly, until about 21. And um, it wasn't until the end of 21 that I started getting active on Twitter. And my account just went from like 1,000 to 5,000 to 30,000 in a short amount of time. But you go, let's go back a minute because the lockdowns was the first time um, uh, that I started to see the writing on the wall. I mean, I was going back and forth between St. Louis and New York every month. And I was working there and then I was working in St. Louis and I saw the lockdown protests, right? The business owners are like, we're, we're essential. We need to do this. And you heard the news rail against them. Like these are grandma killers. They're selfish. They're right-wing extremists. And then the next week, George Floyd happened yep. and the whole narrative flipped, right? They're like, well, you can protest for social justice. It's healthy like, to protest. It's healthy to protest. And I'm like, yeah. okay, you either don't know what you're talking about or you want all these people at the George Floyd protest to die. Like, what, what is the truth here? Because it can't be one way for one platform and one way for a different. So that, to me, was one of the first times. And they really caught me off guard because I've never seen that many people that sick and die. Like, it really felt like I was in a movie, like an Ebola movie, where everybody was sick with the same thing. You never see that in the ER. Everybody was short of breath. We ran out of oxygen in the hospital. That literally happened. Yeah. And that's what people don't understand. Like it was real. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it wasn't just like it was a virus. It was I believe that it was man-made and it was a bioweapon to take down a sitting president. I believe all of that. Um, mm -hmm. And still we're suffering the, the, the effects from it. 
Um, mm-hmm. Let's fast forward to the pharma juice, as we call it. Yeah. Um, yes. So when that started coming out, they're saying that it was 100 percent. Right. Like in. You know, you and I both were probably like, there's no long-term safety and efficacy studies on this, like what's going on. And then it just continued to go downhill from there. So did that, did that, like with all these scenarios with, you know, the remdesivir and, you you know, their protocol, the hospital protocol, now they're pushing an untested pharma juice. You know, was that when you start having epiphany in your mind where you're like, you know what, I need to do something. Mm -hmm. I need to help folks. So when did that transition to you saying, I need to start this clinic? Yeah. So again, in 2020, when the, with these protests hit, it was kind of the first thing. And then the whole reason I went to New York is because I was sick and I had natural immunity. So my whole life for 2020 was founded on natural immunity. And so they would ask me, are you getting the shots? I'm like, I don't need the shots. I've already been sick. Like I'm fine. And so it was never like a big political stance that I wasn't going to do it. It was just like a natural evolution. And then they started 21 came and they started bringing the hammer down for this. And you know, the propaganda, the level of propaganda, like anyone who's done medicine more than five minutes knows nothing's a hundred percent, like maybe 60% at the best, maybe. Um, so that was propaganda. And then they started putting stuff on the walls at the hospital. You know, this is safe for pregnant women. I'm like, that is not true. And they would feature people who would get the shots. They would do big stories about them. Um, and they would have buttons and stickers. And I'm like, we've never seen anything like this ever. If you replace pharma juice for, say, hernia surgery, everybody in the world has to go get a hernia surgery or get their gallbladders out. It sounds ridiculous. So why is this intervention so different that we can do this to people and we can intimidate them and threaten their jobs? And so the harder they push, the more I push back. Well, good for you. And God bless you and others that are staying up finally against this because people want this. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of folks are just like, hey, look, just tell me the truth and I'll figure it out. When right. you have misinformation campaigns and we're getting deplatformed for posting the yeah. truth and just having conversation, mm-hmm. I mean, that's where this country works. If people come together and figuring it out. But when one yeah. side is just hammering down on the other and not allowing the information to get out, that's when mm-hmm. the dominoes started to fall. So when, yeah. when well, in, in early 21, not only was I taking care of COVID, like I, I took care of patients in the ICU through four COVID waves. And not only were I taking, was I taking care of COVID patients, I was taking care of vaccine injured patients in the ICU. And nobody talks about that. But um, I had dementia patients that had exacerbation of their dementia that ended up with problems. I had people with, um, I had five ECMO patients at one time and four of them were post-jab. So crazy. You know, and to go down that road, you know, I'm seeing it in my own patients. I'm seeing stuff that I've never seen before, younger people getting autoimmune disorders, and they just have all this crazy stuff going on that I've never Mm -hmm. seen before. And the common denominator as of right now is the pharma juice. I mean, that's that's the only thing. And so, I mean, that's where I think people are very frustrated. And the medical professional I had on last week talked about, I mean, I think she said only 6% of people are taking that now. Oh, yeah. Everybody's on to this. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's slowly going to go to the wayside, I think, and they're going to quit pushing it because more and more people are getting turned off, especially with more and more yeah. medical professionals just coming on these mm-hmm. platforms and talking common sense and say, hey, look, there's better ways to deal with this. You know, yeah. eat healthy, exercise, don't be a fat ass. I mean, all these things that we already know, it's just common sense, a little logic yeah. thrown in there. We'll get through this just fine. When did you yeah. open your first clinic, the James Clinic? Yeah. So go, to go back to that question. So 21's coming and they're forcing the vaxes there. This is when all the rhetoric picked up, right? Like if you don't get one of these, you're not a good person. If you don't get one of these, we're going to deny you care. 
and it got hotter and hotter as the summer came on. And I'm like, how am I going to take care of these patients that didn't get the shot when they get sick with COVID? And that's what, because I'm like, what if our hospital closes the door? And I joked and said, we're going to put a tent in a cornfield and we'll take care of them. (laughs) Gosh, darn it. We're going to do that. And so I saw the writing on the wall that I was going to get fired, you know, as Houston Methodist got sued over the vax mandates and it got reinforced. Um, So that was kind of one thing going on. And then I was learning more about ivermectin from like early 21 and I would write it early 21 and no one did anything. They, they, they didn't say much. We were, I was underdosing it at the time. And then as the doses got more appropriate, the next wave hit, I treated two patients with it and they did outstanding. One of them went from 80% oxygen to room air in three days, which never happened to anyone ever in, in the whole pandemic. And instead of asking me what I did to get that great outcome, they took it off the shelf the next week. They were canceling my orders, you know, and I would have somebody in front of me that I would have to intubate that we just did our darndest to help with blood thinners and steroids and all of the things. And I couldn't look people in the eye and say, I'm doing the best for you and intubate them knowing that there was something that could help them. So it just came to a head in 21. The hospital started telling me to pipe down on social media. So that's when I started getting loud on Twitter and started posting things. You know, I'm against vaccine mandates. This is wrong. Um, you know, and I got For people out there, the censorship, like taking me down on Twitter didn't affect my day to day. It's the people that I knew and my colleagues saying, be quiet, stop talking about this. That's the uncomfortable stuff. That was the problem. My ICU medical director walked through uh, one day. I had more patients than beds in the ICU. So I'd been hustling. I took five minutes to sit down and have lunch. And she came in and said, texted me, didn't even address me in person, texted me. I see you're sitting with a vaccinated person. You don't have a mask on. We don't. That's against policy. And I literally thought back to the 1950s when there was segregation and I'm like, this isn't happening. I'm not going to be treated like a second class citizen because I didn't go down the road of pharma juice. Yeah, absolutely. Good for you. So fast forward, like that, that, that awakening that you had in your mind, like I've had enough, I'm opening my own clinic. When did that happen? What, yeah. what date? Yeah. So August of 21, um, I just, I knew I was going to get canned and like I needed to do something. And I actually had a conversation with Pierre Corey. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I need to go, you know, I'm going to get fired. And he's like, the ICU is not where this is. We're winning the battles. You need to win the battles with early treatment. And I had done a clinic before. So I bought a cell phone. I put up a website called ivermectincan.com. And I started seeing patients and I would go on podcasts like this and I would have 20 people reach out and then a hundred people reach out. And I probably saw 300 or so patients in my spare time around the ICU nights and weekends before I got canned. So I was already building some momentum for that. Um, Yeah. And then we hit Delta wave in the Midwest and it just blew up. You know, and and that's the rewarding part about what you're doing is you can put your head down every single night and knowing that you fought the good fight, you stood up for what you believed in. You were right. Right. Because I just posted a quote this morning. People will forgive you if you're wrong, but if you're right, and it proves that the other person is right, they will hate you until they die. They're, mm-hmm. they're not willing to come to the table and say, huh, I'll be humble. Yeah. I was wrong. You were right. Yeah. Let's work together. It's just so yeah. polarizing, right? But yeah. it, the biggest thing that you have done, I mean, how many patients did you save? If you didn't do what you did, mm-hmm. how many patients would not be here? Yeah, I don't know that number, but I think it's more than zero. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I always tell people like, I don't save your life. I just write the prescription. Like God's in charge of this. So, you know, we just knew how to treat you. And if it worked out great and if it didn't, we did our best. Um, 
So we start, I started really basic and I would end up sending people to the ER where they would be turned away. Like, we don't know what to do with you. You didn't get a vax too bad. And so as we went through the Delta wave in fall 21, early 22, we got better. My brother got sick in October of 21 and that really changed the decks for me. Um, he was over 300 pounds, six foot five, big, big dude. Right. And I'm like, he got sick. We started early treatment and over the week he stabilized. And then about day eight, he tanked his stats into the seventies and eighties. And I'm like, I know, I know how this story ends. I've done this. I probably had out of 2000 patients in the ICU, 1500 or more died. And so I took him to the ER once and they left, they sent him home with nothing. They gave him a bag of fluids. And then I took him to the ER when he dropped his stats and they wouldn't let me in the ER with him. And I said, I've been swimming in COVID for 18 months. Like, you can't hurt me. I'll do whatever. And they're like, no, it's our policy. You can't come in. And he looked at me with terror in his eyes. And he's like, I'm not going without you. And I'm like, let's go get in the car. And so we drove back to our hometown. We got oxygen tanks in the car. And one of my nurse practitioners, Cindy, I'm like, I can't drive you if you have a medical emergency. I, I can't drive and like take care of you. So she drove and we drove about five hours to Okaboji to see Dr. Brad Meyer. Um, he, they were doing hyperbarics and we, he went, we went to his lake house. He brought a hyperbaric chamber over. He put my brother in it and like that, his stats went from 79 to 97 and about 10 hours in the chamber. And about four days later, he was off of oxygen and a week later he was back to work. And we knew, we knew somebody about the same size, about the same age, same health condition. He's a pretty healthy guy. And six weeks later, my brother's back to work and forgets this whole thing happened. And the other guy's laying in a bed, traked on a vent still. And I'm like, this is something. And so I knew how families felt that desperation level, but like, we'll do anything to save our loved one. And so we got better at taking care of sicker and sicker patients as we went through the Delta wave. And we started pulling people out of hospitals. Like I knew the timeline cold from the day they got sick to the day they got into cytokine storm and how quickly we could turn them around with our meds. We had that down pat and we could, we pulled about 50 people out of hospitals. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. It just gives me the chills. I mean, because I mean, just when you talk about this stuff, it just really comes back. You know what a lot of people went through and running for governor in the state of Michigan. You know, I had a lot of conversations, a lot of people who've lost loved ones because they went in there and they died. They didn't give them what they needed. They didn't take yeah. care of them. They shoved things down their throat that they didn't need. And, you know, and they wouldn't let these people come in. And it just it's yeah. personal, I think, for all of us. Mm hmm. Yeah. We had a, we had a patient in Kansas city that the family reached out. Um, they killed her. Uh, we, they reached out to us when she was on five liters, like on a Tuesday night, say, and we had oxygen delivered to the house, ivermectin, all the meds by the next morning. she was on eight liters and she's like, I can't walk to the door. So you're going to have to get me out in a wheelchair. And the hospital like, we're not going to wheel you out. And the daughter said, no problem. I'll come get her. I'll wheel her out. And they said, no, you will not use our wheelchair no problem. I will go rent a wheelchair and bring it in. And they said, if you approach our ICU, we'll have you arrested for trespassing. 
And so they didn't get her out in time and she died. That's a Kansas City hospital that that's medical kidnapping. In the in the tough part with all of this is they're probably not going to be anyone held accountable. They're always going to say, hey, we did our best with the information that was provided. And they're going to continue to use that get out of jail free card along with the corrupt politicians on both sides of the aisle. They're all garbage, in my humble opinion, to be honest with you. There are some good ones. Yeah. And a huge problem in the hospitals is the hospital administrators that were looking at the bonuses and mandating the care because mandatory testing everyone, you know, it's not necessarily the frontline doctors and nurses. They have stuff thrown to them. They're working 12 hours. They're exhausted. They're just doing what they have to do, which is no excuse. But, you know, we know about 6% of people are going to stand up when you see something wrong. And that's about the ratio we saw. Um, but the administrators are the ones who saw these bonuses and the administrators are the ones who threatened to fire doctors for prescribing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. That's, that's who is to blame that we're taking seven figure bonuses on the backs of dead bodies. Now I just had someone comment. We need a doctor like you here in Michigan. I need a <laughs> Good <family>. news. So, <laughs> Hold that family, well, what do we have to talk about next. Uh, Dr. Molly's actually in Detroit right now, correct? Yeah, we're in Sterling Heights. We're opening a clinic on um, 22 Mile and Van Dyke Road. So we're going to be open by Saturday, we think. We're still drywalling. So it's going to be a miracle. (laughs) I know what it's like when you do a build-out. It is stressful. Um, That's for sure. Well, well, great. And And for everyone watching right now, if you're in that area, are you willing to travel? Because to me, I'm willing to travel several hours to get good care. And if you go to our website, which is in the description, you're going to see a lot of what they stand for. And one of the things I want to point out is I like the, obviously I'm a fan of functional medicine, but with Mm -hmm. an emphasis on patient care and what I like is patient relationships. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. And you talk about on your website, you know, that's what's missing in these days. I mean, how many doctors come in, they don't know your name. You're just a piece of paper. They're dry. There's no personal relationships and they just prescribe and they leave and they don't really work with the patient and other healthcare professionals, to be honest with you. I deal with that as a chiropractor. Um, But I love what your website had to say and what you're offering, because I think there's so many people out there now that lost faith in the traditional medical model. And what you're doing is you're filling a void because people need care. They do. They need care and they need to go to people that they can trust. And you're leading the charge with this. I mean, you, you truly are. You're blazing a trail that hasn't been blazed in a very, very long time. And you have a huge responsibility because, to me, you are a leader in your profession right now in the healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. But you're blazing a trail. So you're going to be taking the hits from Big Pharma and from the insurance companies, mm-hmm. you know, from your own colleagues because you're standing up for what's right. But in the long run, yeah. you will win because people will come to you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been amazing. And what happened after COVID? So if you remember in Delta, COVID dropped off like 90%. So I went from just me to 25 staff and then back to like zero business. Um, so that's been a challenge to navigate. But what happened is after COVID went away, people came out of the woodworks, right? Like, Hey, treat my cholesterol because I don't want to take a statin. Hey, now we're starting to get cancer patients coming in and they're like, I don't trust the hospital. The hospitals make a fortune off of giving patients chemotherapy that makes you sick and makes you injured long-term. So we offer alternatives for all of those things. I'm proud to say we're medicine outside the box and it's never been this fun. And I've never seen such amazing patient outcomes. Um, It is an investment, but it's the best investment you can make into yourself. Um, So I just, I'm learning every day. I'm combining things together. We're doing hyperbarics and IV vitamins and ozone therapy. And now we're doing PRP. So it's just really incredible what you can get when you start to leverage these other things. 
let me piggyback on what you just said because it's entirely true. It's not the amount of money. Your quality of life is priceless. I mean, talk to someone who's dying of cancer, who is, you know, can't walk, who's experiencing, you know, chronic issues. They would do anything to go back and deal with the prevention, the problem at hand instead of, you know, emergency care. Right. I mean, that's what you just said is big pharma. There's there's not a lot of money in prevention and wellness. I mean, there's truly not. They they like the emergency. They like the surgery. They like to uh, fully medicate folks and then they're taking medication for the medication that's causing the side effects and it just goes mm-hmm. on and on and on. So yeah. you're not only in Sterling Heights, where else are you located right now? Yeah. So our first clinic is in my hometown of Sheraton, Iowa. I put that there because my family was seeing COVID patients and like, can't you help them? And then I needed a place for them to go when they exceeded what we could do virtually. Um, so Sheraton, Iowa, South Central Iowa, St. Louis is kind of my hub. That's my hometown where I live now. So we're in the Western suburbs in Ellisville. And now Detroit, and we're going to Troy, North Carolina in April. And then we've got a few more slated for the rest of the year, but all to be Girl, determined. Your mouth <laughs> is around an open fire hydrant right now. <laughs> you know, I've done yes. build out with clinics. And when you have multiple clinics, you know, at one time we had five clinics in two different states. And it is, people don't understand the, the commitment, yeah. the sacrifice, and the, what you're yeah. doing. So God bless you, man. That is so Thank freaking you. awesome. I also well, want to give a, well, go ahead. Yeah. Luckily, within the space we're in, we've been able to attract like-minded people that are just great to work with. Like they have an energy and excitement that they bring to the table and a competency level that we're truly blessed. Yeah, absolutely. And like, again, you are you were blazing the trail. So you deserve the success, not only the success that you had, but the tremendous amount of success that's coming your way. Um, I truly believe that you're going to change the game out there. I want to give a shout out to one of your colleagues because I've been following you both on Twitter and she's been obviously very vocal. Dr. Mary Bowder. Is that is that how you say her? Mary Sally Bowden. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's been standing up and really signing up about a lot of elected officials saying to pull the Mm -hmm. pharma juice off. And it's it's growing. You guys and I constantly see you and her posting about this. What's going on with that? Yeah. So she's she's developed a pack. I'm on the board of directors. It's Americans for Health Freedom. Um, you can go to americanshealthfreedom.org. You can look state by state. They've listed which candidates and which political um, uh, politicians that are in office have called for a poll of the big pharma juice, the mRNA, um, off the market. And we have to piggyback on that because that's critically important just to stop damage control. Unfortunately, I think who's ever damaged from that is. And, you know, people have learned their lesson. More importantly, what I think is we need to focus on pulling out of the WHO, the World Health Organization, the pandemic health treaty is going to be, that's disastrous. And, you know, this is this is a way to back those politicians that are in tight races in places where they can actually make a difference and hold people accountable. Yeah, 100%. So let's go off on a couple of different things. What you just said is, mm-hmm. do you have any Democrats or mainly Republicans, Libertarians? I mean, what's the group of people that are standing up against this? I think they're mainly Republicans, but you'd have to look at the website um, because it does list their party. I know there's some Democrats who, um, I don't know if they say it out loud, but behind the scenes, they understand yeah. what's happening. And, you know, when it hits your own family, you're concerned, it, you become concerned. The problem is 80% plus of these politicians are taking money from Pfizer. And so they're, they're completely conflicted when it comes to mandates and the, the legislation they're pass, passing. Yeah, we all know that Big Pharma is the biggest lobbyist in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's and that's something, obviously, as a people, we're going to have to contend with. And it starts with people like you. Uh, I'm a fan. I, I truly am. I'm, I'm so happy to have you on today and talk about these things. 
and allow people to understand because we are always still censored and to get this information out as i've always said from the beginning the power of one can lead to the power of many you and i have conversation today is going to save somebody's lives it may save hundreds of lives or millions i don't know but i do know when you start that ripple back and it starts to grow it's pretty amazing what can happen that's what the people taught me in the state of michigan that's for sure yeah is there anything else you'd like to tell the folks out there yeah first of all don't settle for crappy care um you're paying these people to give you medical advice um they can, you know for them to medically kidnap you to berate you for your decisions you're paying them Imagine if your accountant berated you for your choices, you wouldn't tolerate it. So why would you tolerate from your medical professionals? Like get new ones. Um, the other thing is we see a lot of vaccine injured patients. Oh, sorry. I should have coded that better. But they probably already banned off TikTok. Sorry. I'm not good at this. <laughs> I get censored. Um, I've been down but, there a million times. I'll just rebuild yeah. it. Okay. Sorry. But what happens is, you know, they go to corporate medicine and they're just put on the merry-go-round where they're just siphoning off your, your insurance cash. And it's not uncommon for someone to spend anywhere from forty to $100,000 in testing and consults and this and that MRI and EMGs and whatever. And by the time they get to me, I'm like, listen, you got to take a leap of faith with me here because I know you've been down that road and you've tried everything, but you didn't try everything. And we're having good outcomes, but you got to give me a month that you take a leap of faith and get started. You're going to see that it works and you're going to hang in there with me. So that's what I ask patients that are, you know, that they don't have hope. We have people who call us. They're like, hey, we have an appointment for uh, assisted suicide. We're going to go do that if we don't get better. And I'm like, well, I got some pressure on me to get you better. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a process, right? A lot of people don't understand it took decades for them to get unhealthy and their, yeah. their habitual patterns of overeating, not exercising, eating the wrong processed garbage, not going better than organic, you know, not even drinking enough water goes on and on to yeah. go back. Um, I, I want to talk real, a little bit more. If you have some time, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sorry if I'm, I'm good. You away. No, um, I'm the good. farmer juice and the detox that I hear yeah. about. I mean, the research yeah. is still new. We're going to have to, you know, wait for the peer reviewed medical research. But to detox that spike protein, what's your opinion on that? So I don't use the term detox because I think that's a specific physiologic process. And I don't think that's what happens with this per se. Um, I think of it more as mop up the damage. Um, So I have a three-step approach to that. Number one is I give things to bind spike to get rid of it. Phenofibrate and ivermectin seem to be the answers for that problem. Um, step two is deal with the inflammation. Um, I use a curcumin blend of anti-inflammatories and high dose fish oil to address inflammation and kind of that autoimmune piece. And then I go after organ specific. So did it take out your thyroid? Is it messing with your blood sugars? You know, is it low testosterone? Did it reactivate viral and bacterial infections? That's kind of my three-step approach to how I deal with it. And it seems to be working. I find a lot of reactivated Epstein-Barr, mycoplasma, HHV um, and Lyme in people who are having long-term damage. So like when these folks that are watching right now, what's the process? So they go to your website or you can mm-hmm. call, I got the number and email in there folks for you to get a hold of Dr. Molly. You know, yep. what's the process when they go there? What happens? Yeah. So we've pretty much streamed this streamlined this as much as possible. Um, the full consult process for anybody who's having complicated issues, it's a four-step process. So you do an intake with my nurse and then we do an initial consult where you tell me your story. I listen. It takes about 45 minutes to an hour. You just tell me your story and I'll ask you questions and put things together that you might not have put together before. 
Um, then we do all the diagnostics. So we do lab work. We have options for people with high deductibles that are underinsured or, you know, my lab panel is about 3000 If you had to pay cash through Quest, um, we have an option that's around $300. Um, I do a lot of stool testing through Genova, um, looking at the microbiome, digestion, absorption, things like that. Um, then I meet with you. I go over the blood work with a fine tooth comb. We talk about the options to treat everything and I build out a protocol and then we go over the stool test at the fourth visit. And by then you have a pretty good idea what's going on, how we're going to treat it. And if you want to stay with us, you jump into our concierge program. It's $199 a month and we'll just continue. And I find that's where patients do the best because there's so much that we find through the, through that four visit process that maybe someone can do two or three of the things at once. And then we have to revisit it and we see them frequently so then we can refine the program and make sure they're doing great. And this is obviously 100% cash because I can't see the insurance companies or Medicare um, yeah. <laughs> reimbursing you for any of this, unfortunately. Yeah, people and people get really upset because they're like, my thyroid medicine isn't covered by my insurance. I'm like, insurance is legal money laundering. Yeah. That is the boys playing golf together that are padding each other's pockets. They're not out there to help you. So you're going to have to pay for your own stuff. We'll help you do it as you know cost effectively as possible, um, but yeah, if your insurance doesn't cover it, it's because they're not there to serve you. Absolutely, no. I I love everything that you had to say. Anything else, Doctor Molly, you would like to say before we end the interview? No, just keep hope, keep advocating for yourselves, and look outside the box because that's where the answers are. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. And hey, I would love to bring you on here in several months. Kind of yeah. update everyone where you're at, especially when you're on the East Coast and stuff, and just continue to empower people to go to folks like you so they can take back their own health. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate the platform and all the work you've done and the efforts that you've made to build build this platform in Michigan and around the world. Well, I appreciate you. Have a great day. Wow. Um, again, I love it. I absolutely love it. She's filling a void. She's a gosh darn hero. Um, they, they truly are for her to stand up against big pharma. You know, when you have, I mean, chiropractors, we kind of always done that. Right. So, but when you're in the, the, the medical world for you to stand up against big pharma and your colleagues and stuff like that, there's a whole other level of having, you know, some cojones or of a JJ, I don't care what you call it. Right. That that's a whole other level that needs to happen. And everything that they're doing at the James Clinic, I think is just utterly and absolutely fantastic. Um, and I support them. And that's why I brought them on the clinic or in the uh, platform for all of you to learn from it. Um, so you can start to be empowered and take back your own health. Again, I love what she had to say on her tweet. You shouldn't have to police yourself against your care team, especially with concerning your children. All right. Remember that they are there to serve you. As doctors, our job is to provide information, to teach. That's what doctor means. And then provide information, support your decision, but hold you accountable with whatever healthcare decision that you want to go down. That's jobs as doctors. And if they try to force you, because what's happening right now is they're kicking people out of the clinic, which is hot garbage. We're not following through with their recommendations. That's not good doctoring. That's against the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. These folks need care. You work with folks. You hold them accountable. You teach them. And then you support their decisions. To me, that's good doctoring. Okay. Hope you all enjoyed that uh, episode as much as I did. Uh, but do me a huge favor. You have to share this. There are so many people that need this information. You know, there's 10 people that you all know. That's where the power of this grassroots army is all of you. If there's someone that you know that needs to hear this interview, share it. Smash that like button. 
share this video, comment, do all those things to continue to get our reach out there because people need to understand that there's hope out there, there's help, and there's great people like Dr. Molly and others who are standing up for all of you. So share the hell out of this, like it, smash it, whatever you need to do. All right, so have a great day. God bless you. God bless the state of Michigan. Of course, and always, God bless these United States. All right, I'm anxious.